So if you can imagine with me the year 57 AD, and there is a meeting happening in a room, and the room is called the Hall of Hewn Stone. It is in a room in the temple complex in Jerusalem. And so, AD 57, we're in Jerusalem there, and you can see a picture of at least an artistic rendering of what that room might have looked like. The day before the meeting in that room, there was a mob that had kind of gathered around the temple, and it had really gotten out of control, as mobs often do. And what the mob had decided, what the mob had decided to do was that a certain person should quote, be wiped off the face of the earth. This is what they said, and should not be allowed to live. And so this mob had escalated things to where there had to be a meeting in this room to try to determine the fate of this individual whom a crowd was saying should not be allowed to live. The man who had been brought before this group meeting in that hall of hewn stone He was brought before a group of 70 of the elders, the leaders, and then the one high priest in Jerusalem in the temple. His life, his future would depend on what that group decided. That group is the Sanhedrin, and the man's name was Paul. He's an apostle who wrote much of our New Testament. He is really speaking in a matter that is life and death for him. And I want you to hear what he said on that day in that tribunal as he stands before the Sanhedrin. He says this in Acts 23.1. He looks straight at the Sanhedrin and he says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. Brothers, I have lived my life before God, in all good conscience to this day. If we take Paul at his word, what is he saying? What he's saying is he's able to look in the past to this day, and he doesn't see unfinished business. He doesn't find a bunch of sin that he feels like he needs to atone for. What he's not saying is that he's perfect. He's not saying he's perfect. But he is able to say he has a good conscience. How can he say that? What does he mean by that? How is it even possible to look back to that point in someone's life and say, I've got a good conscience about my life? Could you say that? Could you say that right now? And if you can't, or if I can't, isn't it desirable that we'd be able to say that? I I have a good conscience about how I live my life. As you track the story of Paul in the book of Acts, just one chapter over, the story progresses, and a few days later and miles away in the city of Caesarea, Paul stands before someone else. This time, it is not a, it's not a Jewish council, it's a Roman governor named Felix, And before that Roman governor, Paul says something similar, but even kind of even expands, even stronger in some ways. In Acts 24, 16, Paul says this, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and man. So interesting there. Do you notice that he's not not even just looking at the past, saying here's how I've lived up to this point. 
He's saying even in present tense, this is what I'm striving to do. The word striving, other translations are going to say, this is my settled aim. I am doing my best. I am taking pains. I am working hard. I am exercising to the point where I can strive to have a clear conscience towards God, toward God and toward men. No no issues. Nothing blocking, no obstacle. The path is clear. That's That's what Paul is saying here. These are powerful words. As Paul begins to unpack the idea of a conscience that works correctly, able to say, my conscience is good. My conscience is clear. Living that kind of life is really appealing to me. Like, I hope I meet the Lord being able to say that kind of thing. And for the next several weeks, it feels just important. I've, I felt very led toward this subject of conscience. And I'm guessing that probably some have thought about it a lot, maybe some a little, but I'm guessing that most would underestimate how much the Bible has to say about your conscience. And so I want us to dig deeply in here. And the subject of conscience, I, I can promise you talking about it won't immediately make us more comfortable. As a matter of fact, it may take us to some uncomfortable spots. But then the goal of life is never to be comfortable about every single thing in the world anyway. So I think it will be pay off some big dividends if we spend some time, because my desire is, frankly, not just that I could say I have a clear conscience, but I know I haven't met everybody in the room, and some of you I know better than others, but what a goal if we could all say that. What a goal if all of our church, what if a goal of like everybody in the room could say something like Paul says, that I have a clear conscience, I have a good conscience. I want that. I want that so much for all of us. So maybe we should start with exactly what, what is a conscience. You can certainly look up lots of definitions and descriptions, and you can do that really all afternoon. Don't do that now, but you could do that later and find a lot of different descriptors and definitions. I'm not really going to try to piecemeal one together, but I'm going to give you some descriptors that seem to show up in every definition, every description that I came across of like exactly what is a conscience. So one of the things that consistently comes up is that a conscience is something inside of you, but yet independent. At least it feels independent. It's something inside of you. So it's not something external. It's not a book you read. It's not a place you go. It's something internal. It's something inside of you. And yet in some ways, it it feels outside of you. It feels independent. So a lot of definitions, a lot of descriptions are going to talk about like a, a feeling or a sense or a consciousness. But then it's also going to say something about a voice kind of a voice speaking, which is certainly resonates because sometimes we have these competing voices in our head. And wait a minute, we're just one individual, but it seems like even something outside of us is saying something to us. And often that is our conscience. Another descriptor you'll find pretty regularly in the definitions you look at is conscience deals in right and wrong. Right and wrong. There are tons of areas whether this morning I had to write something down, whether I used uh, blue ink or black ink, that, that isn't a conscience issue. But when you get in areas of right or wrong, that's when the conscience begins to kick in. It deals with morality. The, the 
right and wrong behavior, the right and wrong motivation, what was your intention in doing this or in not doing that. It deals with the past, was that right or wrong? The present, am I doing right or wrong right now? The future, as I think about what I might do, is that right or wrong? It always is going to push toward the right and the wrong. Highlighting the right, revealing the wrong. So, again, this is not something that kind of operates in a neutral way. It, it is going to clarify right and wrong with also one more part of this description is the conscience is going to give a shove or a push to do right. The conscience is going to push to do right. So if something is not okay, it's not going to let you be okay with things not being okay. You follow? It's, it's not going to let you play games like, well, at least I didn't. It's going to say, was, was this right or wrong? And you should do right. It's not going to let you kind of compare and go, well, I'm not them. If it is, it's showing you you're not convinced that it's right. Or maybe you're convinced that it's wrong. I hope you're tracking even in that description because God has given to every single human being a conscience. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. He's given to us a conscience, whether you would claim to be religious or irreligious, whether you feel like you're on top of the world with your faith, whether you feel like it is not going well, God has given, hardwired us all with a conscience. And what I want to do is over the next several weeks, actually look in the Bible and see different passages and what they have to say. And a challenge is I would love to spend 15, 20 minutes on each of these verses and get the background and set the table for each book that we're going to look at, but there won't be time for that. But we, we are going to like zero in on the word conscience and where the Bible talks about it. So one of the places that in the New Testament that speaks of conscience is when Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth to fellow brothers and sisters in Corinth. It's actually, we call it 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says this, and again, not a lot of context here. I apologize for that, but here's, here's the reference, and I think you can follow it. Paul is saying to this church, these fellow believers, indeed, this is like what we take pride in. This is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you, with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. Bottom line, Paul is saying, our conscience is telling us that we've done right by you. We've done right by you. We've done the right thing. Our conscience, do, do you notice how the word is used there? The testimony of our conscience, who gives testimony? Often, one place we know that word regularly used is in a courtroom setting. So a witness is called to give testimony. So, kind of follow the word picture here. You have a conscience. Your conscience is called as a witness. Are you doing right or are you doing wrong? They're going to give testimony. The conscience is going to give a testimony or give evidence of like, again, inside you, but yet independent of you, kind of speaking into your actions, your thoughts, your motives, saying, that seems right to me. It seems like they did right there. It seems like you did right or not. It's an internal witness. In another place, Paul is writing again to another church, this time not in Corinth, but he's writing to a church in Rome. And in Rome, like a lot of the early churches, there was this collision of 
a lot of believers who were Jewish and a lot of believers who were Gentile and how they, how they came together and worked all that out was complicated. And so often in Romans, there's talk about like the Jewish people got the law and in the first, what, two-thirds of our Bible, they, they got all these laws and commands and traditions and customs and now that intersects with Gentiles who may have never heard of the Ten Commandments, never heard of like the sacrificial system that the Jews knew, never knew of the holidays. And so how does that merge? And Paul says this in Romans 2. He says this, so when Gentiles who do not by nature even have the law, but still do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. They show the Gentiles who don't have all the customs, traditions, instruction. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That's certainly close to conscience, isn't it? And their conscience is here again like a witness. They confirm this. These competing thoughts either, and notice these words here are important, they either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges. So God's the judge, but conscience is accusing or excusing. In so many ways there, you you get this idea of a witness that's saying, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. So other people have given a description of a, a conscience, like something like a monitor, which I think is a helpful, helpful way of looking at it, right? Something goes off, there's the alarm goes off, some monitor goes off, and it's, is this okay or is this not okay? And now there's a question, and now you have to deal with the question because the alarm's going off, and you're either going to sh- shut off the alarm or you're going to do something about the alarm. So it's a monitor, But then there's also this idea that conscience is a guide, which also we probably want to say a lot more, but you can understand why people would see conscience as a guide because if conscience is this witness saying this is right and this is wrong, the the guide part of it is saying like, well, you better do this. Like, let's go this path. Let's go this way and not that way. And conscience is saying, if we go this way, we will be excused from guilt. If we go that way, we will be rightfully accused of guilt. So that's the way the conscience works. And I think we can talk in terms and definitions and descriptions, but I actually feel like we've got to press a very important question, and that would be this. Does your conscience play a major role in your life? So with all that I've said about conscience being a witness, sometimes a monitor, sometimes a guide, The fact that even if I don't know you, I know you have a conscience. How does, what what role does that play in your life, in your thinking, in your spiritual life even? I wanted to walk through a few categories. Just kind of a few categories where I know from just firsthand experience that conscience, like conscience plays a role in these categories. And I've thought of five, you could probably think if we, and I had, had time together, we could brainstorm 50 categories, but just for the sake of time, what about, what about these five categories? So, again, let's think through our day, the course of our week, maybe month, maybe even your life. One category would be, what role does conscience play in things that you would consider pretty low stakes? Low stakes, by that I mean, like, no one's hurt. Maybe no one even notices, or if they do, barely notices. But the conscience fires. Like, it says either, is that okay, or is that not okay? 
or there's a push to do right, low stakes areas. So you might have had one of those where you're uh, impatient in traffic and you said some things you shouldn't have or at least thought some things that you shouldn't have or maybe drove in ways that approved you were going to get in front of that one car that is just your worst. I mean, low stakes, I mean, unless you get reckless or something, but pretty, pretty low stakes, someone may never know. But then at the end, when you have gotten yourself all riled up, you go, I don't know that I should get that frustrated. I don't know that it honors the Lord for me to be that impatient. Low stakes. Maybe you made a decision this week to make your life a little bit more comfortable, a little more luxurious. And maybe you wonder, did I overspend on that? Is it a problem if I did? Does it even matter? Maybe you found yourself scrolling this week, whatever you like to scroll, and you did it maybe for 15 minutes too long, or maybe four hours too long. And you told yourself, like, I, I don't need to do this. It doesn't always help. I, I don't need to be this vested in it. But was anybody harmed by it? But still you feel like, I don't know that I should be spending my time in this way. Or maybe you started a movie, started reading a book, half an hour in, the language is awful, scenes are explicit, the plot glorifies sin. Something in you says, I don't know if I should be. And, and you keep watching, you keep reading. But there's a thought like, I, I don't know, is, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to continue? Or maybe you're around a table or around a desk or around somewhere where it always seems to be that people gossip. And you told yourself, like, I just hate to be around the table because I know if she and he are part of this group, all we're going to do is just take down someone. And we're going to talk about, and this is a friend, and I shouldn't be listening to it, and I shouldn't be, like, hearing that, and I, I shouldn't be joining in, and I, I feel like it just it's awful when I'm done with it. It just doesn't feel right, but you find yourself there again. Maybe it's low stakes, but it just doesn't feel right. Maybe you're irritated with, with someone, and you decide, I'm just going to give them the silent treatment. And as emotionally satisfying as that is, like they, they may not even know, but you know you're just not talking to them. And yet something like, did that solve anything? Did that help anything? Was that right? You understand, like, conscience pings. I, I'm sure you could think of similar things, low stakes. So that's a category. Another category would certainly, and again, none of this is super comfortable to think about in a given week or day or season. But if we thought about things in the past, I want to be careful here because I'm not opening the box to cause pain. That's not my desire. I want to be sensitive. But I think to talk about conscience, you have to go there. Things in the past where you have regrets, maybe things you cannot change, Maybe like the person has passed away or has moved out of your life. And yet when you think of this scenario, it just, this thing that happened, it just doesn't feel right and your conscience bothers you. Maybe it's a season that's painful to remember. You knew something was wrong or maybe you didn't know it then, but you sure know it now. And to think about it is like, uh, there's a lot of regret there. And I think I've tried to move on, but I, I, I haven't been able to, I can't. Maybe it's promises you broke, people you disappointed. 
broken relationships, broken marriage, you're not wanting to make excuses, but what do you do about it? Can you move on? Should you move on? And if you, if you can and should, how do you do it? How do you do it in some way that actually is helpful and productive and meaningful decisions you made? Maybe patterns of lust or deep, deep patterns of fear that drove decisions that you are not proud of. Maybe it's people that you were around or a substance that just got a hold in your life and Every time you think about it, you have regret. Maybe it's memories of being a hypocrite. Everybody thought you were this, and you were not that. You were something very, very different. And even thinking about it makes you very, very uncomfortable. Do the thoughts excuse you or accuse you? Is there a push to do right? Yeah, this is conscience. This is the world of conscience. How important is that role? Another category that we could talk about is not just the past, but I'd say category of things that change. Things that have changed, things that are changing, where things are different from before. So my guess is, and again, I don't know everybody's story, but my guess is there are people in this room that you are, you're doing things, you're practicing things that 10 years ago you would have thought were wrong or you would have been convinced or maybe raised to think this is not right. But now you've changed your mind and your activities. Or maybe there are things that you, you stopped doing that you used to say, I would... I would never have been able to do this five years ago, five months ago. But now, it, it, I think it's okay. I think it's all right. Maybe it's a new habit, but maybe it's a, a philosophy, a teaching, a social or political position that you find yourself changing your mind on, and is that okay? Maybe you have a friend or a situation that makes you want to justify this being okay. And your conscience is going, wait a minute here. Because when you start changing some of those things, the conscience does start firing and going, are you sure that's okay? Are you sure it's okay to think that way, to believe that, to do that? Things that involve change. Another category would be things that involve, I would say, omission. Like things you omitted to do. Things you should have done, but you did not do. Or haven't done. So maybe you go, I didn't read my Bible all last week. Not one time. Didn't even really think about reading my Bible. And now I feel bad about it. Or maybe I read it six days, but isn't the Bible worthy of my attention? Seven days, and I didn't read it all. I mean, where, where in things that you should have done, maybe things where you know to do better, but, but you didn't. Maybe sometime in the past year, you could have been at church, but you weren't. You could have been a better friend, but you weren't. Maybe places... Places where something off-color, inappropriate is said, and you didn't, you didn't say it, but that's, that's part of the issue. Like, you didn't say anything. And you, you could have. Maybe, maybe you should have. Maybe you shouldn't have. Was it the right time? Was it the right thing to do? Any places where, like, a, the monitor goes off and goes, I'm not sure. Like, you just kind of watch all that happen, and you didn't do something. And then the, one more category would be things that aren't low stakes but high stakes. Where it actually feels like as you think about it, a lot is riding on it, often because other people are affected by your decision to do right or your decision to do wrong. So if we just kind of did an inventory of the heart and talked about my anger issues or your anger issues, you get mad at your kids, you get mad at your parents, get mad at your siblings, you get mad at your friends, and you speak harshly. 
no productive thing comes out of it. Or you didn't say anything, but you sure thought it. And is that okay? Is that better? Is it okay just to be better? Or where are, are you and your conscience on that? Maybe ethical decisions that some of you may be making even right now of where's my life? What is my life going to look like based on this decision and that one and this one and that one? Is this right or is this wrong? Maybe places where high stakes where you're intentionally deceiving. You're deceiving your spouse. You're deceiving your parents. You're deceiving your children. You're deceiving your friends. You're deceiving. You're trying to deceive yourself, but your conscience is not letting you do that. High stakes where you know you're lying. Addiction tendencies that you know you're covering. And your conscience says, this is not a good idea. This is an awful idea. Trying to jam the brake on that and trying to have you do a a 180 on that. Maybe it's parenting decisions where your conscience is like, I don't know if it's right or wrong to say this, to do this. I'm going to try to do it. I don't know if I handled that situation right. Maybe it's a series of high-stakes things that you could convince yourself it doesn't matter. But it's high-stakes if we live in a world that's unevangelized, where people have never heard about Jesus. That seems high-stakes to me. Seems high stakes if we live in a twisted, perverted world and we don't do anything to see change in that. It seems high stakes to me if we live in a world that is prejudiced or racist and we just kind of go along with that flow. And we don't make any personal decisions. So again, it it can get high stakes pretty quickly and alarms can start going off. I hope you see, like, there are important roles our conscience is playing and, and... The desire is that our conscience has to be sensitive. You want your conscience. I want my conscience operating well. I want it operating well. I want it operating well because I know I'm going to do wrong. And I know I'm going to be tempted to do wrong constantly. And I I don't want to excuse sin and wrongdoing if I should repent and turn from it. I want my conscience operating well. I want my conscience operating because I, I know I'm going to get things wrong. I mean, I worry about, again, the person that has never changed their mind about anything ever. Like, that can't be a good position to be in. And so what if I got something wrong before, and I go through the process of changing my my thinking, I want to do that well, and I want to do that carefully, and I want my conscience to fire in the right places. I want my conscience to be okay when it intersects with others, when it intersects with you and your conscience. So it seems like this is important, and it's not trivial. I, I feel like sometimes we can take these subjects of conscience, and we can, we can make them about a, a dumb list of do's and don'ts and like almost trivialize it and make it only about some controversial things to where we feel a little bit better that we kind of had a discussion, and it's almost a hobby where this is anything but a hobby to me. And I don't want us to take this study and think about conscience and then think about how everybody else isn't doing things quite right. I mean, that, how, how wrong would that be to be settled in our conscience where so much better than everybody else? Like, then something's off too, so this certainly isn't a context for us to be judgmental. But I do believe, like, let's dig in. So where I'd like to go over the next few weeks with this idea of conscience, just so you have an idea. And I say this because I, it may, at the risk of self-promotion, 
I actually want you engaged with in multiple weeks. So if you, I know we're in a summer and people are on vacation and miss Sundays, but this might be one of those where you watch the video or listen to the recording because we're going to talk about like the importance of conscience and then how do you have a clean, clear conscience if anything I mentioned begins to stir stuff up and how do we, how do we think about how sensitive our conscience is? I, I don't know that we want to be oversensitive, feeling bad about things we shouldn't feel bad about, but could it be undersensitive that we do things that are wrong and hurtful and our conscience doesn't even bother us? So I think we need to talk about how sensitive our conscience and then how to live together with different consciences. I'm always impressed when someone, like, I'm always impressed with an artist that can take a blank canvas and begin to paint something. And if I were to try to paint a picture of what I think, if you have a good conscience and you have a good conscience and we all have a conscience that is calibrated and sensitive in the right kinds of ways and it's clear and good and clean, here's what I think the upside of that is. And I think it's huge. I think it's massive. I think, first of all, we will begin to enjoy true freedom and satisfaction in everything that God has designed for us. And man, I want that for my own life and I want that for your life. I want you to enjoy not living constant fear and worry. Did I break this rule? Did I break this rule? Did I break like Article 1, Section 5, Footnote B? Yeah, I messed that. I, surely there's a better way to live in freedom and in grace. I think this is the way the Lord wants us to live. We're not a robot. We're made to enjoy life and enjoy God. But I also don't want to be enslaved to a master that's going to ruin my life. So I want to enjoy true freedom and I want to find true satisfaction and not be enslaved to a master that will just ruin my life. And I think if we calibrate our conscience, it will help a lot here. I think another thing that having a good conscience will do is it will, it will help us make decisions that are in submission to God's instruction. So God says, here's the way to walk, and it will always be for your good. And our conscience, if it's calibrated right, it will help us walk in sensitivity to that. Or we could say like Psalm 119, I, I love to do your will. Whatever you say, God, I love to do that. That's the way I want to be rather than just kind of the gravitational pull that this world has, that even my own heart has, pulling me away from things of the Lord. I'd love to make decisions that are in submission to God's instruction. I think a good conscience will also help you, help me cultivate practices and mindsets that actually deal with guilt and shame and deal with it in the right sort of way rather than disable and say, well, I'm not going to feel guilty about anything. That certainly can't be helpful. I'm not going to be ashamed of anything I've ever done. Surely, that's a dumb place to be. But what if your conscience says, when you feel guilt and it's rightly felt, here's how you deal with it. Here's how you should think about it. What if instead of being, frankly, as I was going through the list a minute ago, what if instead of being crushed by guilt and shame, you actually knew how to deal with it? And what if instead of justifying and blame shifting and excusing, you actually knew how to deal with your sin? And what if we could live in peace? Here's another benefit of conscience. What if we lived in peace, caring, actually caring about not just ourselves, so this conscience is going to have, this study on conscience could have a benefit not just for you, but for people around it, for our whole church and how we live with each other, living in peace, caring about the good and well-being of others, the growth of others, and working for that good instead of like, I don't care, it's not my problem. Or shame on them, shame on him, shame on her. Instead of doing all that, what if we work together for the good of each other? I think God has a lot in store for us, but 
two quick things as we wrap up. One, one is I'm going to ask you to do something this week, and that is actually notice. Notice when your conscience pings. Notice when something goes off and something doesn't feel quite right. I'm not even asking you to, to do a lot about it this week. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. I, I just think it would be helpful if we got, if we at least got our conscience, our awareness of what's going on that. I think it would be very, very helpful for us to just notice it. So that's, I'm calling on you to do that. Think about that. When that independent yet internal voice says something, notice that. Notice where, where it's challenging for you because it'll be different for all of us. So I do want you to notice, which hopefully doesn't make you walk on eggshells. It just helps you notice. And the other thing I want you to do is pray. And like right now, I'd love to pray for you, pray with you, that God would give us grace as we walk through this study on conscience. So let, let me pray for us, all right? Our Heavenly Father, you do know exactly what we need. And so you gave us a conscience. And I pray, Lord, what we want is our conscience to work the way you designed it to work. So I pray that you would keep our consciences sensitive. And I pray that you would make it clear, even as it guides us, that we would see the choices that we can make that will give you glory and that will give us a life of freedom and give us a life of joy as we serve you and as we obey you and as we live in your presence. And I pray, Father, that you would help our conscience to function correctly so we know how to deal with our sin. How we know how, that we'd know how to do our best to live in peace with others around us. And we ask this depending completely on the work of Jesus for us. Depending completely on the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We ask it for your glory. Amen.